0: Hi everyone. You're listening to episode 25 of the Finish Line podcast where we discuss the intersection of faith, generosity, and personal finance. We're so excited to share this episode with you where we get to hear from Todd Harper, co-founder and the former president of Generous Giving. guys, welcome to the podcast. My name is Cody Hobelman, and I'm here with my co-host and brother, Keelan. In this episode, we get to hear the inspirational story of Todd Harper, who is one of the co-founders of a wonderful organization called Generous Giving that aims to spread the biblical message of generosity. Todd also served as the president of Generous Giving for 19 years. During this interview, you'll hear how Todd's perspective changed as he shifted his focus from wealth accumulation to seeking and following God's call for his life. We also discuss the amazing work that Generous Giving continues to carry out, and how setting a financial finish line can create freedom in your life. Stay tuned for all this and much more. Before we get started, just a reminder that everything we do here at the Finish Line team is 100% free and always will be. If you're enjoying the podcast and want to help us get the message out, the best thing you can do is leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to the show so you're the first to know when new episodes come out. Now let's get to the show. Well, here we are with Todd.
1: Todd, we're so excited to have you on the show here. We have heard a lot about generous giving through many of the stories on the podcast so far. And so it's so fun to get to have you here to share not only your story, but the generous giving story. So thanks for joining us tonight. It's a delight to be with you guys. So why don't you get us started off and just tell us a little bit about your background and and your family and how you got to kind of where you are today.
2: Okay, well, I'll go back to my early childhood and this fascination that I grew up with around money and really wanting to be rich, bottom line, and had all kinds of schemes as a young child. One of the things I will often share about a memory that we always use at Generous Giving, we talk about a memory before the age of 12 that influenced your view of money. Or giving. And I will tell the story of being the middle of five children as a seven, eight, nine year old, getting a Christmas present from my grandmother and aunt who lived together. And they would give each of my siblings a $50 bill for Christmas. And they would give me 51s because I liked money and I like <laughs> to count money. And so I don't remember asking for $1 bills, but clearly the adults in my life saw this fascination with desire for money. And though I grew up in a very strong Christian family, that was kind of celebrated, right? Even that story illustrates that, right? That they were playing into that. And so through you know middle school, high school, I was very driven, started multiple different businesses. In high school, I was mowing 80 lawns a week by myself and then started a snow plowing business. I got my series seven securities license when I was 18, the summer before I went to college. I chose the college that I was going to because I felt like God wanted me to go there. But it also was one of three schools that had an entrepreneurship degree program, which I thought was the quickest way to my goal of being a millionaire by the time I was 30. Was to have my own business. And so there were all of these things that kind of early childhood and adolescence, I was focused on wanting to be rich. And at the same time, I really loved God and two of my best friends, God used me to lead them to Christ in high school. And so there was this, you know, strong desire for both of those things. And when I got into college, God intersected my path in a pretty profound way that is still just extremely memorable for me. So I went to school at Baylor University. I was getting an entrepreneurship and economics degree. And it so happened that my economics professor was teaching a Sunday school class at the church that I started going to my first year of college. And he taught, he called it the victory seminar. And one of his Sunday messages or lessons was based on John 8.32, which says, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And he was talking about if we really come to understand God's plan for our lives, then living into that plan is the most obvious, natural way to live and I remember him sharing this illustration. He said, if you could take a piece of paper and you could write down every dream for your life, just anything you can imagine, write that down on a piece of paper. If there were a way to see God's plan for your life, you would rip up your silly little plan so quickly. (sighs) Mm -hmm. And so the fifth week of my freshman year, I was on a retreat with Campus Crusade. So that, I had been exposed to this professor's teaching in the first couple weeks of college. At this retreat with Campus Crusade, we were given an hour to go reflect, spend time, have a quiet time, you know, whatever, listen to God. And I took my sleeping bag out into a field in the middle of Central Texas, little town called Midlothian, Texas and had a conversation with God in which he asked me if i believed he was the creator of the world and if he created the world and created me then he might know what was better for my future than i did and it was it was that day that i told the lord that i would do whatever he wanted me to do and i didn't know what that was at that time but it was a significant inflection point in my journey. And the reason I share all that in the context of this conversation is what I what I felt like God was asking me to give up was my dreams to be a millionaire by the time I was 30 and to pursue his plan for my life, which probably wasn't about wealth accumulation, though I didn't know. And I continued to, I, I finished college with a entrepreneurship and economics degree. But over the course of college, God really captured my heart for ministry and missions and ended up marrying my college sweetheart. We joined the staff of Campus Crusade for Christ. We spent a year in Yugoslavia, several years in the U.S., four years in Russia working with college students, and then ended up coming back to the States. And I started raising money for Campus Crusade as an organization for global missions. And that was the beginning of this journey toward where I have now been for the last 20 years at Generous Giving, where we have served alongside and encouraged radically generous people, which has been just an amazing journey. But God was working on my own heart before he was ready to take me where he ultimately had me, which I never in a million years could have predicted.
0: Wow, that is a really cool story of a transition because of a culmination of things. But certainly that that night in college that you can point to and say, I'm going to follow God, whatever it takes from now on. And if I do my math correctly, by the time you returned and started raising money with crew, you were already over 30. So, Your plan to be a millionaire by then may not have happened. And I'm curious to I'm curious to hear how did your perspective change when you reached that point and said, I'm following God, not my own plans.
2: Yeah, well, one of the things that I will often say, a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but it was also true that I felt called to be a missionary, but I still wanted to be a rich missionary. And so I was investing in the stock market and raised a fund effectively to buy apartments in Russia. And I mean, so I was, I still had this drive. And in my third year, I think it was in Russia, one of my dear friends, a guy named David Wills, who ended up being one of the co-founders of Generous Giving, sent me a book by Randy Alcorn that had just come out called Money, Possessions, and Eternity. And that book radically reshaped my view of treasure and i realized that though i had been you know kind of said i'll do whatever you want me to do god there was still this drive for financial success and i realized by reading that book that my my time horizon was just too short and i was thinking about 30 or 40 years of compound interest and randy's writing really got me to think about eternity and 30 or 40 million years and the way that that our lives can change eternity, not just for ourselves, but for others. And that really flipped the script for me on this journey of generosity.
1: So I'm interested to hear more about when you came back to the States and started working in fundraising for crew, and we're getting exposed to I assume a lot of wealthy individuals who also had a heart for generosity or or radically generous. And I'm interested for what kind of themes or patterns you noticed in their lives and how that kind of shaped your thoughts and perspectives on what was going on and just how that all kind of played in.
2: Yeah, it was a bit of a crisis, actually, for me coming home from, you know, kind of being on the front lines. It was the early 90s in Russia, very dynamic and exciting time to do ministry there. And then we came back, and I'm raising money. And I really struggled with whether God might be calling me into the marketplace to generate money to give away, as opposed to raise money. And it was in that season of realizing that God might be able to use me to unleash more resources through others than generating it myself and giving it away. And so it really reshaped the whole way that I related with people. I felt fairly certain that God wasn't going to hold me accountable for how much money I raised for Campus Crusade, but I felt like he might ask me, how many people did I help become increasingly rich towards God? And so that really started to shape and form the way I related with people, and I, I even— Referred to myself, when people would ask what I do, I would say, I'm an, I'm an eternal investment advisor, and I try to help people lay up treasure in heaven. Not I represent Campus Crusade, though I loved Campus Crusade and was, you know, certainly happy about people investing in that work around the world. So because of that shift, I started looking for people who were radically generous that I could learn from and even introduced to others. And so really the the first person that I met who was giving away 70% of his income was a guy named Hugh McClellan. And I met him at a Campus Crusade fundraising weekend, and I heard him share his story. And I was like, That is so compelling. Like, I've never heard, I've never met anyone who's actually doing that. I had read this book that my mom had given me my last year of high school by R.G. Letourneau called Mover of Men and Mountains. And he told the story of becoming a reverse tither, you know, giving away 90%, living on 10%. But I'd never met anyone, right? That was like a book, and he was dead. And so I meet, Hugh McClellan, and i 'm fascinated and What I started doing in my work at Campus Crusade was bringing people that I had a relationship with who were you know financially successful and generously inclined to meet Hugh and play golf with Hugh and let Hugh tell them his story and that was That was so much more compelling than me encouraging somebody to be more generous. It was like, well, let me introduce you to my friend who's really living this. And so that was kind of the beginning of some of these ideas that a handful of us have perpetuated into our work with Generous Giving.
0: Mm -hmm. So you already mentioned that there were multiple founders of Generous Giving, and I'd love to hear more about how you cross paths with those other people and what those early days were like when generous giving was just an idea?
2: Yeah, so it's interesting. All four of us had been influenced by Randy Alcorn's writings. We were all working in various forms of the philanthropic world, if you will. So I was raising money, as I've mentioned, with Campus Crusade. Daryl Heald was Hugh McClellan's son-in-law, and he was working as a grants manager at the McClellan Foundation. So he was giving money away. David Wills was working with National Christian Foundation and helping families with structures to be intentionally generous. And then a guy named Forrest Reinhart was the stewardship pastor, effectively, at Saddleback Church in California and working in the context of a church to encourage people to be increasingly generous. And so we kind of all met through various ways and started comparing notes. And then one of the first things we did was we, because of the roles that we were all in, we all knew kind of radically generous people, a handful of really generous people. And so we said, why don't we just interview these people and ask them what had been significant or catalytic in causing them to be as generous as they were. And basically, the answer to that question of all of these families fell into three buckets. One was they understood God's Word in some new profound way, two was they were in relationship with somebody that encouraged them on their journey, and or they had an experience that reframed their view of money and what God had entrusted to them. Oftentimes that was some kind of international experience that reframed how much they had relative to the rest of the world and how much opportunity there was to be invested in God's kingdom. And so the simple way to describe the beginning of generous giving was, what if we could bring God's word, relationships, and experiences proactively to people without any underlying specific agenda, other than to invite them to become increasingly rich towards God. And Daryl was probably the most important of the founders because he was at the foundation and he was able to present a business plan, if you will, a ministry plan to the foundation to say, Would you underwrite this so that we could do this in this manner without asking for anything from the people that we're encouraging to be radically generous? And that was in 2000.
1: Yeah, and generous giving has certainly come very far since 2000. Now, I know that there's the celebration conferences, which are a big deal at Generous Giving, and then there's the journeys of generosity in homes and, and retreat centers and that sort of thing where we're getting small groups of people together over two or three days to do kind of an intensive look. I'm interested to hear just from all the perspective you have on watching this all unfold, kind of the, from the early days of Generous Giving, what kind of strategies you guys were using to try to bring out this message of generosity and then how that has kind of evolved into all that generous giving does today?
2: Well, the essence of what we started with, we didn't know what we were doing, but the essence of what we started with is still the essence of what we do, which is to tell compelling stories and ask questions. So really everything that we do is that. In these different environments and different contexts, we're creating places where people can hear real-life, powerful stories of their peers and then ask, hopefully, open-ended questions to create an environment where the Holy Spirit can move people, where He wants to move them. We don't presume to know where God's calling any. Individual, but we believe strongly that God has a calling on all of our lives. And we find the most life and purpose and fulfillment or abundant life in saying yes to whatever his plan is for us. But I think an important point is how powerful the world's value system is, how relentless. The messaging is, and especially for those of us who may have extra or surplus, it's so easy to be convinced that what the world is selling 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year is legit, you know, that bigger, better, faster makes you happy in some way, shape, or fashion. And we have to come against that, I think, with countercultural narratives that get I mean, the scriptures are full of countercultural narratives. What we love to do is illustrate that with real life, people living biblically aligned lives. And that, that just never gets old for me.
0: So how do you measure the success of generous giving? I know that heart change is potentially a difficult thing to measure, but what do you use to determine whether progress
2: is being made? Yeah, I like the way you phrased that question around heart change because that's that's the business that we really believe that we're in and creating environments where people more fully surrender their hearts to God and all that they all that they are and all that they possess. So, part of our measurement strategy is to use incremental dollars released or given away as a proxy for heart change. Because Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Mm -hmm. So as I relinquish what God has entrusted to me, which which I can begin to believe creates comfort, security, control, and say, no, I'm going to trust you, God, and I'm going to be a channel of your blessings rather than a repository. That incremental change— is in fact a demonstration of heart change. And so we have in a variety of ways you can't measure heart change but you can measure changes in giving behaviors. And that's what we have endeavored to do for the last, you know, probably 15 of our 20 years of existence and have come across some pretty creative strategies for for measuring that without I hope without making people feel measured. Because I would never want to do that. So
1: in both the celebration conferences and in the JOGS, I know that it is not uncommon for people to have kind of a drastic change in perspective or for the spirit to be working in them in, in a significant way. What kind of things do you think are most Important for helping people to have those kind of experiences of of really having a drastic total frame shift in in how they view money, possessions, and, and managing God's wealth?
2: Well, we've thought a lot about that. What we call, we call this the five P's of a transformational experience. Okay. And these are elements that we try to bring into any generous giving environment. And the first is prophetic which means we're bringing a biblical message that by definition is countercultural and prophetic in our day and age. The next is peers. We're trying to create environments where peers are influencing peers because that's such a powerful influence, right? Seeing how other people that are like me are living. The next is provocative. So we are intentionally looking for and telling provocative stories that are outside of the norm. The next is permission. So we're trying to create environments and give explicit permission for people to talk about the things they never talk about, especially those who have surplus, right? You don't don't sit around and talk about what do you do with your extra money? And so we're trying to make that normative or safe, at least in our environments. And then the last is pressure-free. And so I've said, you know, we don't raise money because we're funded by these foundations that allow us to operate without asking money from the people we're trying to encourage to be generous. But we're also not telling people where to give their money. We're not defining what an appropriate lifestyle is. We're trying to create a space where the Holy Spirit can speak uniquely to each family. And we have found that when those elements are operating, it can bring about or foster dramatic changes in the way people live. It's not uncommon. Well, I'll say it this way. One of my friends here came to the very first, what became known as a journey of generosity. It was our first overnight retreat. It was kind of a serendipitous opportunity that we had to spend 24 hours with Truett Cathy one of his homes in Northeast Alabama. And we invited 20 business owners from around the Southeast of the United States. And this friend of mine, I saw like 10 months later after this event. And he said, kind of, we just ran into each other at the beach. And he said to me, you know, that thing you invited me to that changed my life. And I didn't know this guy that well. And I was like, (laughs) well, Wow, that's that's encouraging. How so? And he said, "I'd never been in an environment where I was around people that were excited about their giving, and it made me wonder what I was missing out on." And I came home, and we increased our giving by ten x. Wow! I said, "What? What do you mean ten x?" He said, "Well, we were. I was giving two and a half percent of my income, and we changed that to twenty five percent." And he said, it's changed our lives. And I was like, hey, that's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we're on to something here. And so anyway, but those things were operating, those five principles were operating in that environment that created that space for the Holy Spirit, ignite that for my friend. And we've seen that happen thousands of times, not always that dramatically, but so many times that dramatically, it's not uncommon for us to have people who double or triple or quintuple their giving as their paradigm gets reframed. And it's like, I think what we do at Generous Giving, maybe one simple way to say it is that the Holy Spirit flips the switch for people from ought to to get to in their giving. Mm-hmm. And if that happens, that changes everything, Right. Because you're not checking a box. You're like, I want to be in on this. And the more, the better. And that's God's heart for all of us as his children is to experience that abundance and joy and delight, right? And desire is so much more powerful than duty. But I think many people bring that dutiful perspective to giving, right? Give until it hurts or all the different things that we've heard. But I think the most compelling thing for me, guys, in this work for the past 20 years, is that being around generous people is just stinking contagious. Mm -hmm. I mean, (laughs) right? I mean, people who are giving their lives away for the sake of others, there's a joy and authenticity in their experience of life that is attractive. i Like to say that I've never met an unhappy, generous person. And I just, I think it's an incredible apologetic for the truth of God's word that people who live this way experience the abundant life that Jesus said he came to give us.
0: I love the way that you said that desire is so much stronger than duty. And that's absolutely been my experience. I, you know, originally, jumped on board with this out of a sense of duty, and out of that came the desire to allow God to use me in ways that I could never have imagined. You started to touch on it, but I'd love to hear from your perspective, since you've talked to so many people throughout the course of your life, what is different about the lives of people who make
2: generosity a priority in their lives? I think that there's more room for other people there's an orientation toward others that is where life and joy is found and one of the one of the difficulties of wealth is that it creates many opportunities for distraction and the people who are intentionally simplifying their life in order to be more available to god and to have their resources more available for the things of god create greater opportunity to experience the blessings of God and i've just seen it manifested in so many ways with so many different families and it's just super attractive with and you guys know right you've met people like this who are living this way and it's like there's something different about their lives and it doesn't mean they don't have problems it doesn't mean they don't have challenges It doesn't mean they're not discouraged at times along the way. But this orientation towards others, this orientation towards giving in all forms, really is the thing that brings life and joy. You know, the the scriptures in, in 1 Timothy 6 exhort, you know, Paul's exhorting Timothy to command those who are rich in this present world, that's 17, verse 19, so that the whole frame that he gave around encouraging generosity was so that you may take hold of the life that is truly life. And I think that's what we all want to experience is that life that is truly life. And yet the other narratives of the world that say what that true life is are so loud. And when we have the ability because of what our financial resources enable, it's really hard to resist those messages, which is part of why this podcast is important and powerful. And the whole notion of what you guys are creating around finish lines is such a powerful idea for people to consider or live into. And the reality is there isn't really any freedom in considering this notion of a financial finish line. It only creates freedom when you actually implement it.
1: So I do actually want to ask you a couple of questions about finish lines. Before we get there, though, I wanted to get your perspective, since you have walked with generous giving right from its beginning. And really, in the U.S., over the past 20 years, I think there's been a huge movement in this whole generosity sphere. And there's been several organizations at the center of that generous giving being a major one. And I think of other organizations like the National Christian Foundation or Kingdom Advisors or some other big ones like that. But I'd be interested to hear your perspective on how you see kind of the whole movement of generosity over these last 20 years from kind of a bird's eye view of what God is doing in our country, in our church, and what you see coming down the line of where God might be taking everything.
2: Yeah, What we've observed in the last 20 years in the generosity space is an emergence of multiple strains, multiple expressions of different ways of encouraging generosity. And yet, I think we're still in the very early stages, in spite of, you know, the growth of some of these organizations. The reality is the vast majority of Christians still have no idea about most of the organizations that you named and i i don't care about our organizations being known but the ideas that get espoused by these various organizations i don't know if we have a 10% market penetration i don't think it's more than that mm-hmm. so there's there's this incredible blue ocean right of of people who are sincere Jesus followers, but haven't been introduced to, you know, these ideas or these people or these experiences that can reshape what they're striving for. That's why I'm so delighted to be here with you guys and any expression of encouraging people to experience the joy of giving and aligning our lives more closely with God's Word. But I think there's a—I think— God's doing something really in light of the circumstances in which we find ourselves in the world today. I was talking with my prayer partner earlier this week, and he, he was referencing—he spends a good amount of time in Africa, but he owns a business here in the States—and he said that the global standard of living is growing so rapidly— I mean, there, there is so much wealth being created and accumulated. If I'm not mistaken, in the last year, in, in 2020, in the U.S. was the greatest expansion of wealth, largest amount of wealth aggregated in a single year in the history of taking records, right? Overall wealth in the U.S. And one thing that I didn't share about the founding of Generous Giving was one of the things that drove us was it was the late 90s, and it was a similar type of situation, you know, economic expansion, the stock market, NASDAQ, you know, the internet bubble, all of those things were were just everything was up and to the right. So there's this incredible explosion of wealth and this incredible growth of the global church, particularly in the global south. And so we see these two massive macro trends that all of the founders were kind of engaged in both of, right? This kind of wealth creation and the growth of the church and, or the body of Christ. And yet giving in the U S was lower, 50% lower per capita than during the great depression. Wow. So it's like, I mean, and giving has, you know, kind of it's leveled off over the last 30 years, but it's effectively been flat in the U.S., uh, 2% of GDP. And there's just, there's so much of that, that it could be available as more and more people are invited into holding their hands open-handedly before the Lord and experiencing, you know, all of what we're talking about of purpose and freedom and joy. That's what drives me and motivates me.
0: Those are kind of shocking statistics and it really it leads you to the question of what can I do about it. I think generous giving has done a fantastic job of trying to reverse that trend. And I wanted to talk a little bit more about some of your experiences with generous people. And you know, a finish line is one way to organize your personal finances, and I'd love to hear if you saw a similar level of structure or accountability in the way that generous people handled their money?
2: One of my favorite stories is a group of friends of mine who came to the very first Generous Giving. There are four couples, all entrepreneurial couples, all owning their own businesses. And one of their takeaways at the end of this first gathering in 2000 in Atlanta was to get together several months later and answer the question together, how much is enough? And in the process of trying to answer that question, what they realized was that they were coming at answering that question from the wrong perspective. They were thinking about that in terms of a net worth cap, right? When we get to X amount, will that's enough. What they realized kind of as they got serious about implementing that, was they were all they were all business owners. And so they couldn't really cap their wealth or they would have to sell off their companies piecemeal and lose control over time. And they felt they were called to steward what God had entrusted to them in the form of these these businesses and the people they employ and the the good they can do in their communities. So they shifted from how much is enough from a net worth standpoint, to how much should we pay ourselves to run God's company. And they have, for the last 20 years, lived on an annual basis, they get together and effectively set each other's salaries. And these, I mean, in some cases, they're living on one or 2% of their company earnings. And giving the vast majority of that away of the surplus or excess earnings after investing in their businesses and paying taxes. So it's, it's been, I know those four couples and it's been incredibly encouraging to watch the fruit in their lives, in their marriages, in their businesses and the encouragement that they've been to one another. Right. And some people like to talk about accountability or financial accountability. And I, I, would rather frame that in terms of transparency and encouragement. Because that's what these that's what they're doing with each other. They're giving each other transparency into their financial worlds, asking for feedback and how should we live. And then they're encouraging each other to stick to their commitments. I long for more people to have those kinds of relationships and experiences because I think it's it's hard to live counterculturally. There's a cost to living counterculturally. And yet there's a there's a great payoff and reward as well. That's an example of people I'm watching who really who I really aspire to live like, frankly.
1: Now I know at some point along the way you and your wife actually set some version of a financial finish line yourselves. So I'd be interested to hear kind of what led you to, to fully make that decision when you, when you did and what you've learned through that process along the way.
2: Yeah. So it took us a while to, you know, the nature of what we do at generous giving is tend, we tend to focus on those entrusted with much. So most of the people that I'm working with have a lot more than me. And so my my frame of reference was well I don't I don't have enough to draw a finish line you know but about 7 or 8 years ago I I realized actually I was at a journey of generosity and part of that experience is to have 30 minutes of silent reflection to ask God what is he saying as a result of this experience and it struck me that we had God had provided Enough. We have a large family, five children. This was, you know, I think all of them were still at home or, you know, just maybe the first one going off to college. And I realized that we could just say, how about what we have now is enough? And we had the college years in front of us, but other than that, our spending needs were likely to decline as opposed to keep increasing, right, with the stage of life we were in. And my income doesn't change dramatically. You know, I get paid a salary from generous giving, but we get cost of living allowances and raises from time to time. And I was like, why don't we just draw the line where we are? It wasn't super complicated. It was, we have enough. If we get raises in the future or, you know, compensation adjustments, we'll just give the incremental away. And that way we can kind of consistently grow our giving over time, which was where my head was. That's what I thought the payoff was was, look, we'll be able to grow our giving over time and kind of keep our spending in check, which is true and those things I think both of those things happened. I think what was significant for me in particular was because of my orientation of always wanting more, the notion of what I had being enough. Created a sense of freedom and contentment that I wouldn't have predicted and a, a lack of striving. Like I don't always need to figure out how to make more or save more or create more for the future. Like I can trust God that he's going to meet our needs. He always has. And, and this was not a sacrificial decision. We get paid well and, but it, it did institute a level of of discipline and mindset shift that has been a blessing to us.
1: Yeah, I love how you said that about it taking out the the striving, or in a way, taking out the burden of money and wealth. And Cody and I have talked about this idea a ton on the podcast, and we both have had similar experiences of coming at the finish line decision with that same goal of wanting to be able to give more and and for the impact and that sort of angle. And then realizing there was such a deeper aspect to it where it it really takes all of the pressure off of everything that you do. And, and suddenly all kinds of different decisions that you make about income or investments or side jobs and or risk and all of these different factors that play in are totally flipped all around into different directions. All the incentives all change around. And it's like a completely different way of living much more radically, we realized, than, than we even intended when either of us started. And we've heard that same sentiment from many who have set a finish line and walked through that process. And so I completely agree. And I think that you put it perfectly.
2: Yeah, I think many of the most generous families that I know have instituted some version of a finish line. And it doesn't mean all, I'm not saying everyone who's generous has done this, but I find my perspective guys is that this would be a huge blessing to anyone who would consider making this kind of a decision. Mm -hmm. Even if it's an annual decision, like we're going to I'm not saying you have to make this decision today forever and always, but the idea of establishing limits to create freedom is a very powerful idea, and it's rarely implemented in the financial space, but I think incredibly powerful and liberating to those who live into this
0: you know todd i've I've noticed this trend of people talking about managing your time extremely wisely and and how freeing that can be and really taking control over your schedule. But what do you think it is about money that stands out? You said from an early age, there's been this draw about money and I can really relate to that. And I work with money as an advisor. There's something different about money. What do you think that is?
2: I'm not sure I can answer what that is. But there's clearly something about it because Jesus addressed it more than any other topic. So there, there is something about how we relate with money, which I think actually is, is quite ironic in some ways because God doesn't need our money, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he, he spoke the world into existence. So the, the dynamic here is something about what he wants for us as we relinquish. And I think in some ways, it's such a tangible expression of how I trust God. Do I trust him? You know, Jesus taught us to pray, give us this day, our daily bread. And yet everything in our culture is designed to store up bread for tomorrow. And I'm not saying it's wrong to save. I'm not, I'm not saying that. But there's this intense orientation towards self-dependence. And it's, and it's interesting, I think, in my life spiritually, the more dependent I am on God, the better the place that, I, that I'm in. And I've, I've learned to realize that, right? The more dependent I am, the better off I am spiritually. And yet there's this part of me that wants to be financially, what? What's the word that our culture sells financially independent, Mm -hmm. right? And that's kind of an unchallenged idea, even in Christian circles. Like, what are you working towards? I'm working towards financial independence. And it's like, I'm not sure God ever wants us to get to the place where we're financially independent. And so- I so long for us as his children and my friends to experience that place of dependence on God and being a channel of his blessing, because that is a way that money can buy happiness. When God uses what he passes through our hands to others. I mean, there's, there's not much or anything quite like that in my life experience.
1: Well, as we're getting close to the end here, Todd, I did want to give you a second, especially for anybody who has not come into contact with Generous Giving, to just give kind of a quick overview of how somebody can connect with you guys and get involved with what you guys are doing and where they might go from there.
2: So the easiest way to learn about Generous Giving is to go to our website, which is generousgiving.org. There's a, in this kind of post-COVID world, we've created some experiences that you can sign up for online and participate in online. So I actually met Cody several weeks ago in one of these experiences that we call an online journey of generosity. And anybody can check that out. It's free. We create these experiences where people get exposed to stories of radical generosity. So that's Check it out, generousgiving.org.
0: Yeah, Keelan and I have both participated in JOGS, and uh, we tuned in for the celebration of generosity, and I can't recommend it enough. I really love what, what you all at Generous Giving are doing. So we're just about to the end of our episode, but I did want to save some time for our manager minute. So Todd, we talk about this concept of being managers of God's wealth and we love to hear new perspectives on how we can better manage God's wealth. Do you have any suggestions for our listeners on how they can better manage God's wealth?
2: Yeah, I want to challenge every listener who hasn't implemented Financial Finish Line to try an experiment for three months or six months to just try this notion of saying at X amount of dollars— we're going to give everything away above and beyond that. Wherever that is, just try it. My best friend from high school came to a generous giving experience in 2006, and he and his wife, their takeaway was to try a six-month experiment. And it was like, we're just going to try it. And we're going to give the excess money away just for six months. We're not making a lifetime commitment or signing anything in blood. And it was so fun to watch God use that experiment, which has now persisted for more than 10 years. And just the just try it. What's the downside? So and Keelan and Cody didn't pay me to say this. This is what I really <laughs> felt compelled to invite the listeners to consider.
0: Yeah, I love that suggestion. And it hits close to home because that's exactly how Keelan wrangled me into all this. He said, hey, why don't you just try setting a finish line with Steph for three months and and just let me know what you think. Let's see what you learn. And I never considered going back to not having a finish line. So I love that you made that suggestion. And I would echo that for, for any listeners, obviously. But thank you so much for sharing your perspective and for joining us tonight, Todd. It's really been a great time talking to you and hearing from you.
2: Uh, it's my privilege, guys. And I'm asking for God's favor, your lives and families and work.
0: Thanks so much for listening to the show, guys. If you have questions about setting a financial finish line or anything else you heard on the show today, we'd love to hear from you. You can reach us on Instagram at finishlinepledge through our website at finishlinepledge.com, or by email at hello at finishlinepledge.com. Send us any questions you have, and we'll answer them on one of our future episodes. As always, if you want to find any of our references or links from today's show, you can find them in our show notes at finishlinepledge.com episode 25. That's all we have for today. We'll see you next time.